Russia is invading Ukraine. Today, we speak with two prominent experts about the conflict's implications for Taiwan. An award-winning documentary about Hong Kong's fight for democracy is premiering in Taipei. We'll bring you details about that. Then, RTI correspondent Harrison Kay will tell you about the Pingxi Sky Lantern Festival and how one enterprising woman wants to make it more eco-friendly. Then in Hashtag Taiwan, we're going to take a look at the latest album from Taiwan's Cathay United Bank. This is Taiwan Insider. Welcome to the show. All eyes are on Ukraine right now after Russian President Vladimir Putin launched a military operation this morning. At the time of recording, Ukraine's president has confirmed reports of missile strikes against Ukraine. In Taiwan, some here have compared the Ukraine crisis to the threat Taiwan faces from China. Dan Blumenthal is the author of The China Nightmare, The Grand Ambitions of a Decaying State. He recently wrote in Foreign Policy that Beijing could use Russia's tactics on Ukraine against Taiwan. Blumenthal is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, a prominent Washington think tank, and a former senior director of China, Taiwan, and Mongolia at the U.S. Department of Defense. I asked him what the mood is in Washington, D.C. right now. One big country would just go in and attack and invade and occupy another country, but it's happened, and so we're truly in a new era. How do you think this will end? Uh, unfortunately, I think it'll end with Russia occupying Ukraine and, and the U.S. having to reinforce uh, uh, containing that threat on the eastern flank to Poland and elsewhere. You recently wrote an article about how Beijing could learn from Russia's playbook um, in terms of Ukraine. Can you tell us how you think the Ukraine crisis could affect Taiwan? Yes, I think China has options to threaten mass uses of force um, and to coerce Taiwan, but more importantly, to intimidate the United States into thinking that defending Taiwan would cause a very big and protracted war. And in so doing, they would try to make political demands of Washington to put pressure on Taipei to accept China's policy on Taiwan. I think China is watching very carefully to see how uh, the United States and NATO respond to this aggression. So how do you think the U.S. needs to respond to what's happening in Ukraine in order to deter China from becoming more aggressive towards Taiwan? Well, I mean, there, there are many things that we haven't done right for many years, so it's a bit late. But I think uh, uh, sanctions, very crippling sanctions that, that punish the Russian economy badly and keeping the allies uh, on board uh, with those sanctions, uh, as well as accelerated uh, uh, lethal aid to the Ukrainian military, the training of the Ukrainian military, the, the continued advisory uh, uh, troops inside the Ukraine, as well as reinforcing the flanks of NATO, which all of which is happening, uh, although the crippling economic sanctions are, are fairly slow. To be rolled out. Well, you know, in your article, you mentioned that the U.S. should have a stronger military presence in Taiwan to deter China. Do you think that that will be happening with the Biden administration? Well, I actually said uh, it should train a small force 
to be ready to go into Taiwan at the first sign of a crisis, which would just be the acceleration of existing programs that the United States already has. But my point was, if we're going to be able to influence events in a crisis and maintain Taiwan's political will, help shore up its ability to communicate, very importantly, as we see with the Ukraine crisis, you know, uh, communicate with its population, with the rest of the world. Uh, I think we're going to need to uh, have people in Taiwan fairly quickly. If China were to attack Taiwan, what do you think the U.S. would do? The U.S. would likely first try to help with its defense and then come to its defense. But my point in my article is is that it's not going to be so easy to just come to Taiwan's defense. There's going to be uh, some kind of crisis, and it's going to take diplomacy, which will be much harder in the Taiwan case, I view it, and then in the Ukraine case. There's going to be immense needs for coordination between the United States and Taiwan, and the United States and Taiwan, and whatever coalition decides to join in. So I, I argue in that article in Foreign Policy that we need to be doing things now to prepare for uh, not just a military crisis, but a diplomatic military crisis. Russia and China recently signed a long-term agreement, so this greater show of solidarity um, is pretty threatening. What kind of impact do you think it might have on Taiwan? Well, I mean, the, the key question is, is Russia going to support China if it takes aggressive action on Taiwan? And uh, I guess we're leaning towards the answer, which is yes, and, and so that is troubling. Uh, on the other hand, I would say China has been much more cautious in practice on supporting Russia. So, uh, you know, it certainly will help Russia in terms of uh, importing more goods from Russia during a time of sanctions. It buys a lot of energy from Russia, um, but it's not diplomatically supporting the attack on Ukraine. So we'll, we'll have to see. It's, it's a little bit more complicated than, is, uh, see, than it seems at first glance. A lot of people compare Ukraine to Taiwan. I spoke with political scientist Karis Templeman at Stanford University, who recently wrote an article about why Taiwan is not Ukraine. He explains why the two countries are so different. I think the, uh, the instinct to compare the two and to, to find similarities is a natural one, and it's understandable. Uh, but I think the differences are far greater than the similarities. Um, in particular, Taiwan is a much more valuable and integral partner uh, with the United States. Uh, it's an important trading partner. It's our ninth largest trading partner. It's the source of some key components to critical uh, advanced technology that the United States manufactures or imports. Um, and uh, more importantly, it's uh, been a stellar partner of the, re of the United States in the region for the last 70-plus years. The U.S. has been directly involved in providing for Taiwan security since 1950. Uh, we don't have anything like a similar history with Ukraine. Ukraine, you know, for many years was part of the Soviet Union, and then our interaction with them is uh, strictly limited to the post-Cold War period, and it's been... Uh, led, I would argue, mostly by the European powers rather than us. Uh, and the concerns about Ukraine's status, I think, are, are second-order concerns related to the United States' relationships with uh, Europe and our interest in seeing a prosperous, stable, and free uh, European Union. And so 
Um, for all of those reasons, I think the Taiwan situation is uh, quite a bit different, not really analogous to the uh, Ukraine uh, security threat that it faces today. Next up, a Hong Kong documentary banned by Chinese authorities is set to premiere in Taiwan. Almost three years ago, young democracy activists in Hong Kong went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the city's pro-Beijing authorities. Now, a documentary telling the protesters' this story is coming to Taiwan's movie theaters. Revolution of Our Times, a documentary on the 2019 pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong, is opening in Taiwanese theaters on February 25th. It has received two Golden Horse Awards for Best Documentary and Audience Choice. Taiwan is currently the only country where the movie is being released in theaters. The director of the movie, Kiwi Cho, met with journalists in the form of a teleconference. He says he is extremely happy and grateful that there is a place like Taiwan where his documentary can be shown freely. Joe says that over the two years of filming, he witnessed both tragedy as well as the greatness of human spirit. Initially, he says he was tormented by strong emotions and nightmares, but found solace in the process of making the film and no longer lives with the feeling of dread. Zhou says he is expecting the worst, but continues to do what needs to be done, which gives him peace. Zhou told reporters a story from his early days at the front lines of the protests. A masked protester demanded to know which station he was working for. He responded that he was one of the directors of 10 Years, a dystopian speculative fiction anthology depicting life in Chinese-run Hong Kong in 2025. The protester approved, having seen the movie, and encouraged Zhou to keep filming. Joe says that the once progressive city of Hong Kong has now regressed into authoritarianism. He urges Taiwan to take this lesson to heart and cherish the freedoms it enjoys. Now, while Taiwan hosts that documentary, a very different kind of film is reaching audiences in London. One of Taiwan's most famous designers is debuting a new collection in a completely virtual format. Taiwanese designer A Pu Jan revealed his latest work for this year's autumn-winter season on Monday at London Passion Week. His collection is called The Ballad of a Storykeeper. Due to the pandemic, Jan showcased it in a digital format. These new designs feature science fiction and space elements in the form of digital embroideries and prints and accessories made with 3D printing and precious metals. These pieces come together to tell the story of a special agent who travels across time and space, searching for the link between reality and virtual fantasies. Jan says that the tale was inspired by Alice in Wonderland and spy fiction books like From Russia with Love and Blade Runner. The digital performance features several Taiwanese musicians, artists, and actresses like Alice Tsung, Dou Yijian, Josie Lin, and Mizuki. The Apu Jiang collection showcases everything from wedding dresses to blouses and even knitted pants. Jan says these pieces are a fusion of traditional Eastern designs with Western styles, along with modern technology. He also compared his work to that of a film director, as both roles require much collaboration, imagination, and rising up to challenges. Jan says that in-person fashion shows and virtual ones each have their own strengths. While the audience may experience a different atmosphere up close at a live show, a virtual show allows for more control and digital enhancements. Since Jan's virtual runway can be viewed online, audiences from all over the world can experience his designs and travel along with the show to another dimension. Another kind of visual spectacle just took place in Taiwan, the annual Lantern Festival, marking the end of the Lunar New Year. 
This year, some people are making an extra effort to make the event an eco-friendly affair. RTI's Harrison Kay has a report. The Pingxi Sky Lantern Festival is one of Taiwan's most famous lantern festival events. It's on both CNN and Ford's list of things everyone should do, and the Discovery Channel called it the world's second largest New Year's celebration. In Pingxi, around 300,000 lanterns are released into the sky, which make for a beautiful sight. People come from all around Taiwan, and in the past from all around the world, to write their wishes for the New Year on the lanterns, before setting them off. However, in recent years, there have been environmental concerns. After the lanterns come back down, they simply trash the surrounding areas. Their wireframes take ages to break down. The residual dyes and heavy metals damage animals, and a lot of plastic waste is generated from the lanterns. Some solutions have been proposed to stop this. Some are trying to push for more eco-friendly lanterns to reduce waste. Entrepreneur Xiao Aiting designed a prototype for a sky lantern made entirely of paper that burns out in the sky at a certain altitude rather than falling and littering the area. In 2016, she crowdfunded online and raised 1.6 million new Taiwanese dollars, or around 50,000 US dollars. But at this year's Pingxi Lantern Festival, lanterns with wire and plastic were still very much the norm. So now that the sky lanterns have flown into the air, it's time to pick them up. The government is running a recycling centre where you can get seven new Taiwanese dollars for bringing the remains of a lantern frame. Many volunteers come from all around the world and help pick the lanterns up. But there's always need for more volunteers. Next up, people always say that money talks, but can it sing? Leslie finds out in Hashtag Taiwan. Banks. You know those places where you keep your money at so that they can loan it out to other people and then they can make money on the interest? I mean, banks are pretty nifty. You can buy currencies from other countries there, rent a safety deposit box for your valuables, and you know, just other general money stuff. Of the many things that people expect of banks though, I don't think music production is one of them. But that all changed in late January when Taiwan's Cathay United Bank dropped an album on its YouTube page seemingly out of nowhere. The album made its way onto Spotify in mid-February and that's why we're talking about it now. It's a 7 song playlist with around 51 minutes of music. And when I say music... Alright, well technically there is some music on there. The first 5 tracks on the album are 10 minute tracks named after various global currencies. You have the US dollar, the new Taiwan dollar, the euro, the Japanese yen, and the Chinese renminbi. In Chinese, the songs are named the sound of wherever currency. The last 2 tracks are 30 somewhat second snippets of someone hand counting money and the sound of money going through a cash counting machine. As far as what the 10 minute tracks sound like, well they feature the sounds of money being counted against a track of music. And if you're worried that you don't know what kind of currency is being counted, well you don't have to worry because Cathay United Bank thought of that. The music they play with every track corresponds to the currency that track features. For example, USD features the sound of counting money against a jazz track, Euro features the sound of counting money against a classical music track, Japanese Yen features the sound of counting money, flowing water, and traditional Japanese music, and Chinese renminbi features the sound of counting money and a track that sounds like traditional Chinese music. I think you get the idea. And if you're like me and you asked why, well, Cathay United Bank's YouTube playlist says something along the lines of, 
If you like money, then you should hear the sounds of money. If you need money, then listen to the sound of money to attract money. If you're bored, listen to the sound of money and money will come to you. Let money permeate every part of your life and you'll be happy every day. Seeing how Cathay United first released this album in the lead up to the Lunar New Year, a holiday that places emphasis on fortune, I'm gonna say that this was just a gimmick to get people into the holiday spirit. Later on, Cathay United said that the album was meant to be a form of ASMR. ASMR, if you didn't know, are supposed to be sounds that evoke pleasant feelings in their listeners. And that's all I'm gonna say about ASMR. In my humble opinion though, this isn't really a collection of bangers. That is, unless you really like the sound of money. If that's the case, then this is your jam. And before we leave you, here's a look at some of the other news stories that are on our radar. Starting March 7th, Taiwan will open its borders to business travelers and shorten the quarantine period for arriving passengers from 14 to 10 days. Health authorities say they have made that decision based on a number of factors, including the transmissibility of the Omicron variant of COVID-19, vaccine rollout, hospital preparedness, and policy changes in other countries. Business travelers will still have to obtain approval prior to arriving in Taiwan. The authorities are also relaxing face mask requirements. Starting March 1st, masks won't be required in a number of situations, including exercising outdoors. Passengers on trains will also be allowed to eat and drink again. Modern espionage is more about computers and the internet than invisible ink and microfilms. That's why Taiwan's cabinet is proposing changes to the law to resist economic espionage and the theft of technology. Two new offenses would be added to the code, economic espionage and extraterritorial misappropriation, carrying long prison sentences and fines in the ranges of millions of US dollars. People working in core strategic industries would need permission to travel to China for three years after terminating their employment. The changes proposed by the government also have the support of Taiwan's biggest opposition party, the KMT. Following a shortage of eggs, duck meat is now in short supply in Taiwan. Restaurants serving duck across Taiwan are forced to increase prices of dishes. Duck breeders are saying that colder weather caused by climate change has affected the hatching of duck eggs. Making matters worse is the COVID-19 pandemic, which prompted more people to order frozen duck online rather than buying fresh meat, hiking the prices as a result. With no prospects for increased supply until at least the fall, it will be up to the customers to foot the bill for the time being. And we're back in the studio all together for our final question of the week. Now, earlier in the show, I told you about this documentary about the Hong Kong protesters that's premiering in Taiwan. And that got me thinking, well, we have, us three have had such rich lives. So <laughs> if you guys have had, have a documentary made about your lives, who would you want to direct it? Uh, Stash? Uh, I've got, I think this would be a good one. I'd like to see what Wes Anderson would do with my life. Oh. <laughs> Not a documentary filmmaker, but I imagine that those scenes in between were maybe interspersed yeah. with some dramatic reenactments. They'd be very colorful. I would love to see what Ang Lee would do with my life. Oh. Whatever he does is beautiful. So I'm sure it'd be very nice. Uh, for me, though, I thought about many, but I think I went with Christopher Nolan. Oh. Because uh, Christopher cool. Nolan, he's done Batman movies. He's done, like, <laughs> these sci-fi the movies. movies. Very dramatic. <laughs> and uh, I just remember his the latest movie that I've seen of his. It just completely broke my mind. He's so creative. Yeah. And uh, I already know my life, right? This is my story, but I want to see what a creative mind like his can do to it. I want to see what, what part Michael Caine would play in that. Oh, that too. <laughs> Michael Caine. Michael Caine is your dad. 
Anyway, uh, that's all the time we have for this edition of uh, Taiwan Insider. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Leslie Liao. I'm Stash Butler. And I'm Natalie So. Make sure to follow us on our social media channels. Yes, and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, don't forget to tweet at us. Our handle is Taiwan Insider. We'd love to know what you think about the show. Anyway, guys, until next week, we'll talk to you again soon. See you around. Bye. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Taiwan has been watching the Ukraine crisis closely, especially as Russia invaded Ukraine this week. Could Russia's aggression inspire China to attack Taiwan? Well, that's Taiwan's biggest fear. My guest today is Dan Blumenthal. He's a prominent Asia policy expert in Washington, D.C., He's a senior fellow and the director of Asia Studies at the American Enterprise Institute, an important think tank in Washington, D.C. Blumenthal was also the senior director of China, Taiwan, and Mongolia at the Department of Defense. He is also the author of the book, The China Nightmare, The Grand Ambitions of a Decaying State. He recently wrote an article in Foreign Policy called Beijing Could Run Russia's Playbook on Taiwan. Today, I speak with him about why he thinks so. But before we get into that, I ask him what the mood is in Washington, D.C., now that Russia has invaded Ukraine. Well, it's shocking. Yeah, nobody, nobody really thought that one big country would just go in and attack and invade and occupy another country, but it's happened. And so we're, we're truly in a new era. And what do you think is going to happen next? I think the Russians will continue with their plans in the Ukraine, and the uh, U.S. and NATO are going to have to contain the threat on the eastern flank of NATO. How do you think this will end? Uh, unfortunately, I think it'll end with Russia occupying Ukraine and, and the U.S. having to reinforce containing that threat on the eastern flank to Poland and elsewhere. And what is the biggest implication for Taiwan after that happens, if that happens? Well, we're, we're in a new era where we have to be take seriously the threat to Taiwan, very seriously the threat to Taiwan. Uh, the United States and its allies have got to take seriously the fact that Xi Jinping and others in China are, are serious when they say they will not accept the permanent separation in their view of Taiwan from, from China. So, you know, we need to redouble our efforts to deter, to show how costly it would be and to defend Taiwan. So you recently wrote an article about how Beijing could learn from Russia's playbook um, in terms of Ukraine. Can you tell us how you think the Ukraine crisis could affect Taiwan? Yes, I think China has options to threaten mass uses of force and to coerce Taiwan, but more importantly, to intimidate the United States into thinking that defending Taiwan would cause a very big and protracted war. And in so doing, they would try to make political demands of Washington to put pressure on Taipei to accept China's policy on Taiwan. So I think, I think China is watching very carefully to see how the United States and NATO respond to this aggression. So how do you think the U.S. needs to respond to what's happening in Ukraine in order to deter China from becoming more aggressive towards Taiwan? Well, I mean, there, there are many things that we haven't done right for many years, so it's a bit late, but I think uh, uh, sanctions, very crippling sanctions that, that punish the Russian economy badly 
and keeping the Allies uh, on board uh, with those sanctions, uh, as well as accelerated lethal aid to the Ukrainian military, the training of the Ukrainian military, the, the continued advisory troops inside the Ukraine, as well as reinforcing the flanks of NATO, which all of which is happening, although the crippling economic sanctions are, are fairly slow to be rolled out. Well, you know, in your article, you mentioned that the U.S. should have a stronger military presence in Taiwan to deter China. Do you think that that will be happening with the Biden administration? Well, I actually said it should train a small force to be ready to go into Taiwan at the first sign of a crisis, which would just be the acceleration of existing programs that the United States already has. But my point was, if we're going to able to influence events in a crisis and maintain Taiwan's political will, help shore it up, help shore up its ability to communicate, very importantly, as we see with Ukraine crisis, you know, communicate with its population, with the rest of the world. I think we're going to need to have people in Taiwan fairly quickly. So what is the situation now? That's, that's not possible right now. Well, it's certainly possible. It's possible to train such a force and for it to practice and to get it in and outside of Taiwan. I mean, you know, it's it's not it's not a huge provocation or acceleration of of anything we're not already doing. I just think we need to focus very much on being more familiar with Taiwan military units and and uh, with Taiwan uh, critical infrastructure and communications and so on. It's possible to do that. So your idea was to put a U.S. force in Taiwan at the first sign of trouble, right, to help Taiwan with well, be patients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Biden administration would be willing to take your advice? Uh, they may. I mean, particularly after, after this in Ukraine. I mean, I think they're going to want to do everything they can to prepare for a similar crisis in Taiwan. I think they're open to ideas of how to assure deterrence and, and that we would succeed together with Taiwan in a crisis. I'm speaking with Dan Blumenthal. He is a prominent Asia policy and defense expert in Washington, D.C. He's a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He was also a senior director of China, Taiwan, and Mongolia at the U.S. Department of Defense. As the world's eyes are on Ukraine, Blumenthal recently wrote an article about how China could learn from Russia's playbook. Next, we talk about what the U.S. would do if China attacked Taiwan. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Hi, I'm Leslie Liao. Do you love Radio Taiwan International's English content and wish it would never end? Well, who said it has to? The fun doesn't have to stop here. Check out our website, or our Facebook, or our YouTube, or our Twitter. Go to en.rti.org.tw for the latest Taiwan news stories. 
Check out Radio Taiwan International on Facebook to see great pictures of Taiwan. Go to youtube.com slash RTI English to view some of our great features. And when you're done, tell us what you think on Twitter. Our handle is Radio Taiwan underscore ENG. What are you waiting for? I'm here waiting for your message. Listen, are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. You're listening to Taiwan Today, and I am Natalie So. People in Taiwan are very concerned about what's happening in Ukraine. Of course, they believe that every country and people should have the right to their own sovereignty and territorial integrity. But there's also been a lot of comparisons between Ukraine and Taiwan, especially as Russia and China grow closer in their alliance. Today, I speak with a top Asia policy expert in Washington, D.C., Dan Blumenthal. He is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. He's also the author of The China Nightmare, The Grand Ambitions of a Decaying State. He believes China could be learning from Russia's playbook. Now, I ask him what he thinks the United States would do if China attacked Taiwan. Well, I mean, the U.S. would likely first try to help with its defense and then come to its defense. But my point in my article is, is that it's not going to be so easy to just come to Taiwan's defense. There's going to be uh, some kind of crisis, and it's going to take diplomacy, which would be much harder in the Taiwan case, I view it, and then in the Ukraine case. There's going to be immense needs for coordination between the United States and Taiwan, and the United States and Taiwan, and whatever coalition decides to join in. So I, I argue in that article in Foreign Policy that we need to be doing things now to prepare for uh, not just a military crisis, but a diplomatic military crisis. You also said that Taiwan doesn't have a NATO, and there's no real security guarantees for Taiwan. So what do you think other countries should be doing uh, to help deter a Chinese attack on Taiwan? Well, I mean, very few other countries are going to do anything unless the United States convinces them that it's necessary to do so. So uh, Japan obviously is changing its policy somewhat, and Japan has to, for the United States to succeed, Japan has to at the very least provide use of its bases. Uh, hopefully it'll do more than that in terms of uh, military commitments. Australia talks about the same sort of thing, but the United States needs to be much more proactive in building a, a coalition and explaining to this coalition why it's necessary to resist aggression in the Taiwan Strait. Do you think that this Ukraine crisis could be a distraction from the U.S. protecting Taiwan? Well, you know, there are people who say that, but the U.S. is a global power. I mean, it has global interests everywhere. So distraction is not the right word. I mean, the U.S. has to take care of its interests in Europe. It has to take care of its interests in Asia. And it has to take care of its interests in the Middle East. And that's always been the case, and it always will be the case. Russia and China recently signed a long-term agreement, so this greater show of solidarity is pretty threatening. What kind of impact do you think it might have on Taiwan? Well, I mean, the, the key question is, is Russia going to support China if it takes aggressive action on Taiwan? And 
uh, I guess we're leaning towards the answer, which is yes. And, and so that is troubling. Um, on the other hand, I would say China has been much more cautious in practice on supporting Russia. So, uh, you know, it certainly will help Russia in terms of uh, importing more goods from Russia during a time of sanctions. It buys a lot of energy from Russia. Um, but it's not diplomatically supporting the attack on Ukraine. So we'll, we'll have to see. It's, it's a little bit more complicated than, is, uh, see, than it seems at first glance. So how do you think the Chinese attitude towards uh, Russia and Ukraine will affect the situation? Well, I, you know, Russia gets some advantages from Chinese uh, statements of support, and it has, provides Russia with some alternatives in terms of markets and so forth, markets for its energy. But at the end of the day, it won't affect uh, Russia that much. I mean, Russia intended to aggressively invade Ukraine, and, and it would have done so, I think, whether China supported it or not. Well, thank you so much, Dan, uh, for your time. I've been speaking with Dan Blumenthal. He's the author of The China Nightmare. He is also a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, a Washington think tank in Washington. Thank you so much. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm, what do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. This is Radio Taiwan International. Listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International.
Welcome to News Playlist. I'm your host, Shirley Lin. We're going to start off with the report from the Education Ministry, which it said that it's launching a campaign to promote Taiwan's minority languages. Now, statistics have shown that there's a steep drop in the numbers of speakers of these minority languages. So let's have a listen to this report by Stash Butler. Why should I study my mother tongue? Three schoolgirls ask their teacher. It's a pertinent question, and with International Mother Language Day coming up on February 21st, it's more relevant than ever. People in Taiwan speak a range of languages, including Mandarin, Taiwanese Hokkien, and Hakka, along with Austronesian languages like Amis and Paiwan. But Mandarin's dominance is growing, with fewer and fewer young people able to speak their parents' other native tongues. That's why Taiwan's education ministry is using International Mother Language Day to promote Taiwan's minority languages. TV host Remy Gilles wowed attendees at the campaign's launch on February 11th by speaking Hakka, Taiwanese Hokkien, Amis and Bunun, as well as using Taiwan Sign Language. Education Minister Pan Wenzhong was also suitably impressed. Pan says if Taiwanese don't start speaking their mother tongues now, it'll soon be too late. Jill, meanwhile, says the campaign is about instilling a sense of respect for minority languages and their heritage. As part of the campaign, 10 libraries and community arts centers will host more than 50 activities this month, ranging from board games to theatrical performances. With Jill at the head, the government hopes it can kickstart people's interest in all of Taiwan's lingos. Stash Butler, RTI News. Taiwan has a famous explosive festival during the Lunar New Year festivities, and that is the Yen Sui Beehive fireworks. It can get really loud. This year, though, the event was being scaled down due to COVID-19. Well, I bring you this report. Hundreds of thousands of fireworks that sound like millions of bees are fired off at the Yen Sui Beehive Fireworks Festival in Tainan. Participants have to dress in protective garments and helmets to take part in the explosive event. Many people believe that this baptism in fireworks can blast away one's calamities and troubles in the new year. But with the pandemic still ongoing, the event is being scaled down. Only 1,000 people will be able to attend the main event at Yen Sui Junior High School at 9 p.m. There will also be some minor shows at 6.30 p.m., 60 fireworks barricades blasting off at 15 different sites and temples. The director of the Yen Sui Marshall Temple says participants will have to wear masks and be vaccinated with at least two doses of a COVID vaccine. This year, there will be no procession with a palanquin carrying the statue of the god of war leading the way. Local residents say it won't be as festive as usual as many foreign tourists often come to experience the festivities. But even so, they say people are welcome to watch the event live online. The Taiwan International Documentary Festival has already announced the films that have made it into the shortlist for 2022. Uh, the festival is actually not happening till May, but this year the Taiwan Creative Content Agency is going to join forces with the festival to offer financial support to promising filmmakers. Nelly So has to report. These are the filmmakers shortlisted at the 2022 Taiwan International Documentary Festival, which will be held between May 6th and May 15th in Taipei. Nearly 200 entries from around the world entered this year's competition. The festival is divided into three categories, Asian Vision, the International Competition, and the Taiwan Competition. Around 15 films made the shortlist for each category. Taiwanese films that made the cut include The Catch, directed by Xu Zhejia, 
and The Lucky Woman, directed by Zhen Wenzhen. The festival will premiere with director Huang Xingyao's A Silent Gaze, which was shortlisted for both the Asian and Taiwan categories. Li Yongchao's Rain in 2020 was nominated for Best Documentary at Taiwan's Golden Horse Awards. That film also made the shortlist in two categories, the international and Taiwan competitions. The festival will showcase documentaries that depict stories about history, religion, democracy, identity, and other contemporary issues. Festival program director Wood Lin says that the event aims to be a window into the world's recent events. Lin describes the festival's design motif this year as lively and strange. He said he hopes this year's event can showcase a similar spirit of diversity. Shortlisted Taiwanese filmmakers also have the opportunity to win a $2 million subsidy for their next project from the Taiwan Creative Content Agency. The agency says it wants to support Taiwanese directors in producing future films about Taiwan, bringing more memorable stories from Taiwan to the world. Natalie So, RTI News. Taiwan YouTubers is quite a thing in Taiwan, but is it worth it? How much can a YouTuber in Taiwan make? So there is a new ranking that sheds light on the matter. Tomasz Kopel brings you this report. Comedian Andy Tai's career took him from acting to YouTube and then back to the stage. You can see him at concerts with his YouTube group Muyao 4 Super Playing. They even host major events like New Year's Eve parties and have become one of the most popular YouTube channels in Taiwan. However, the group's 2 million subscribers and over $400,000 in monthly income from YouTube ad revenue is not enough to get them into the top 10 list of Taiwan's top-earning YouTube channels. Another recognizable personality, Holger Chen, follows closely behind Tai's entourage at the 15th spot with just below $400,000 of monthly income. So who are Taiwan's most successful YouTubers? Well, the answer left many surprised. Coming in at number one is a Korean artist who is married to a Taiwanese woman. He runs the channel J. Lee Painting, through which he showcases his amazing abilities to paint using everyday objects. He is closing in on 5 million subscribers and raking in just under 4.7 million NT dollars, that's 168,000 US dollars every month. In second place is the computer graphics-fueled parody channel Yes Ranger, which boasts over 3 million subscribers and a monthly income of 1.8 million NT dollars or 64,000 US dollars. Closing off the top three is Terry Films, a food channel showcasing traditional Taiwanese snacks and food. With 1.5 million subscribers, the channel nets just under 1.3 million NT dollars a month. It seems there is no shortage of talent among Taiwan's YouTubers, representing a wide range of genres. With top earners bringing home millions, it's no wonder more and more people in Taiwan dream of becoming internet celebrities. Tomasz Koper, RTI News. After shortage of eggs, now we've got duck meat that's low in supply in Taiwan. Duck breeders say, say that it's the weather, you know, the colder weather that's really caused a problem. And why are we getting colder weather? It's because of climate change. So I bring you this story here. This roasted duck is fresh out of the oven. It's ready to be served at Peking duck style, which is duck meat sliced up and served in a wrap with scallion and a sweet sauce. But it's likely that fewer people will be enjoying this dish soon, after the price of duck meat rose in recent months. One restaurant in Zhanghua says it has no choice but to adjust its prices, from 800 New Taiwan dollars for one whole roasted duck to 900 NT dollars. Meanwhile, a chef at a Hong Kong-style restaurant says they raised their price by 25% last year and is likely to go up even more this year. This restaurant serves duck soup in broth made with angelica, a kind of Chinese herb. The owner says that he will be raising the price of their signature dish by 10%. Shops that sell packaged smoked duck meat are affected too. The price of their product has gone up by 10 to 
Duck breeders said that since September last year, colder weather caused by climate change has affected the hatching of duck eggs. To make matters worse, the COVID pandemic has prompted more people to order frozen duck online rather than buy fresh meat, thereby hiking up the price. With no rise in supply expected till the fall, fans of Peking duck should prepare for a pricey few months. The Landon Festival is like one of the highlights on Taiwan's lunar calendar. After Chinese New Year's,、um, there's been like these elaborate lanterns that come in all shapes and sizes, and they adorn, you know, these buildings and streets and parks. I mean, you know, there's got to be one that's like the main、uh, attraction, and it has to be the zodiac animal of the year. And since it's the year of the tiger, you can bet that there's one on the tiger. So let's have a listen to this report from Thomas Kapel about the festival. Taiwan's most famous lantern festival event took place in the town of Pingxi on Tuesday this week. Hundreds of brilliantly illuminated lanterns soared to the skies, carrying hopes and wishes for the new year. The festival is held on the 15th day of the first month in the lunisolar calendar. It happens on the first full moon, which symbolizes the arrival of spring. It is a spectacular finish to traditional New Year celebrations. The lanterns are traditionally made of oiled rice paper over a bamboo frame, but more modern materials are also in use today. They are usually adorned with handwritten wishes for prosperity, health, and success. The lanterns use the same simple physical principle as hot air balloons. The fire within heats up the air and makes the lantern rise. Using sky lanterns has a long tradition. They are said to have their roots in the Three Kingdoms period in China, when they were used as a tool for military communication. Nowadays, instead of tactical intel, they carry hopes and desires of the people below to the gods above. Local authorities are promising to organize cleanup efforts after the festival to collect spent lanterns that didn't quite make it all the way to the heavens. Thomas Koper, RTI News. Taiwan has been experiencing a real cold snap this winter, with really low temperatures and heavy rain across the country and snow in the mountains. So health officials are urging people to take the temperature drop seriously and really wrap up warm. Let's have a listen to this report by Leslie Liao. A bowl of hot soup sounds like the perfect way to stay warm on a cold day, but it's hardly enough to ward off the chills. Nurse Tan Dunsi says that hearty meals like this could be downright fatal on a cold day. She says that some people will head outside after a hot meal indoors, thinking they can brave the cold, but they'll keel over by the time they make it home. Tan urges people to exercise caution now that a cold snap has hit Taiwan. She emphasizes the importance of staying warm. Bundle up the neck, head, feet, and hands, and if your shoes or socks get wet, change out of them as soon as possible. And since the current cold front has brought with it heavy rain, Tan says that waterproof shoes are also very important. With another cold front slated to hit Taiwan later this week, there's no better time to put Tan's tips into practice. Leslie Liao, RTI News. The last story on this week's、uh, episode of News Playlist. I bring you a story about how donors were giving clothes and heaters to keep shelter dogs warm. These two puppies look pretty happy, and so do these other dogs. That might be because they're kept warm with clothing made from secondhand clothes donated by animal lovers. A volunteer worker at the shelter showed how to cut up an old sweater to make a mini turtleneck on this little dog in no time. Other kind-hearted people also donated heaters to the shelter. They also got nutritional supplements for the animals to make sure they stay healthy through the cold snap. 
The exceptionally cold weather has even resulted in fish dying in the waters of the outlying Penghu Islands. The water temperature there is a mere 13.6 degrees Celsius. People walking by are picking up the frozen fish to take home. When asked how big he thinks his biggest catch is, this man says about one kilogram. With a sudden drop of temperatures in Penghu, people are advised to take extra precautions to keep themselves warm. Thank you for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International, Taiwan's national broadcaster. We hope you enjoyed our programs. You can catch all of our latest news, audio, and video features on our website at en.rti.org.tw. Again, go to our website en.rti.org.tw for engaging news, videos, and programs about Taiwan. If you like to hang out on social media, RTI is there too. Our Facebook URL is Radio Taiwan International, and you can watch our engaging video features, including the weekly news magazine program Taiwan Insider, on our YouTube channel, RTI English. Again, our YouTube channel is RTI English. For those who enjoy the Twitter sphere, our handle for Taiwan Insider is at Taiwan Insider. For RTI English, it's at. Radio Taiwan underscore ENG, and if you'd like to enjoy us on your smartphone, just download our app RTI to go. That's one of the best ways to enjoy all our news, videos, and programs. That's RTI to go. If you're a shortwave listener, we have two channels in Asia. For South Asia, tune into six one hundred kilohertz from sixteen hundred to seventeen hundred UTC. To Southeast Asia, you can hear us on one five three two zero kilohertz from zero three hundred to zero four hundred UTC. We would love to know what you think of our programs. Email us at English at RTI org Thank you again for tuning in to Radio Taiwan International.